between a rock and a hard place. I'm Hannah. And I'm Colleen. And we're going to tell you about our life in Iraq. It's going to be fun. I hope so. Kurds and Middle Easterners have a reputation for being hospitable, and it is a well-deserved reputation. Oh, absolutely. For sure. I don't think I've ever met more welcoming people, like sincerely eager to have you in their home, in their space. Yeah, I mean... I feel like in America, Southerners have that reputation of being, like, very hospitable and and welcoming. It Um, doesn't hold a candle to the Middle East. No, not even close. When people told me that about the South and then I moved here, I was like, I don't understand what people are talking about. (laughs) Right, well, because you lived in Kurdistan, where... Well, and honestly, I also lived in the Northwest, and I feel like people there are just as friendly with the exception of like waving at strangers which is something that people in the south do yes (laughs) but this is not a podcast about how awesome the south is because it is awesome that's not an Um, awesome feature (laughs) (laughs) it was just awkward awesome anyway one of my first days in country probably my first day in the country actually one of our neighbors uh came over to say hello to us which was already kind of weird and she was like it's my son's birthday you should come over because it's his birthday you should come celebrate with us and my roommate and I were like okay sure and then didn't go because we thought it was one of those like I'm inviting you but I don't really want you to show up and she showed up to our house the next day and was like why didn't you come where were you are you sick what's wrong and we were both kind of like uh, I don't know how to explain to you that we didn't think you really meant it. And we had to arrange to come over to her house. Like, I think we actually went over there. We were like, give us 20 minutes. We'll be right there. And it was just aggressive hospitality, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a pushiness to it Mm -hmm. that doesn't just include the invitation. Right. It includes, like, the entire time that you are there, including not letting you leave. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a fight to be able to leave. It, yeah. it was always... I feel like I don't have this problem in America of being like, well, I gotta go. See ya. And then people, it, like, literally grabbing on to me and being like, no. You can't You have to yet. stay. We haven't done this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. We have not eaten dessert. You we need have more not tea. Drunk enough tea, or mm-hmm. fed you enough food, mm-hmm. or it's early, and you're like, it's ten thirty. Right, which is early for them. <laughs> yeah. Again, another a different neighbor. We would go over to to their house from time to time to visit. You know, is the neighborly thing to do. And anytime we'd be like, we need to go home, like, we have work to do, we have papers to grade, she would always be like, you don't need to grade their papers. They don't care. It's fine. (laughs) Stay here. Bring your papers, bring your work here, and work here. And I was like, we're not going to get anything done if we come over here. Because your TV is on, like, 85, and it's so loud. But it was always, it was also always like nice, 
to feel wanted in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I've been having a bad day. I need to feel better about myself. I'll go visit the neighbor. So maybe we should go back to the beginning of a normal visit. Sure. Uh, when you first arrive at your neighbor or student's family or friend's family's home, you knock on the door or the gate. Mm -hmm. Someone comes out to greet you. You do handshaking or kissing cheek cheek and then you get up to the door you take off your shoes yep everybody takes off their shoes i learned pretty quickly that if you're gonna go visiting it's better to have shoes that are easy to take on and off slip-ons yeah that's why this is not we're not sponsored by chacos but that's why i lived in chacos while i was there because <laughs> they're the easiest shoes to get on and off at least in the summer. In the summer, for sure. Yeah. Um, some houses that I went to, you would take your shoes off and they would have slippers there for you. Mm -hmm. um, like actual slippers in the winter mm. or like nice kind of like slip-on flip-flop plastic, plastic shoes, shoes. Mm -hmm. in the summer. Which sometimes was nice, but also sometimes was a little bit like other people's sweaty feet have been in these. Kind of gross. And then once you get in the house depending on like how often you've come to visit but let's say it's a first time visit mm -hmm. they're gonna put you in the formal living room yes the parlor with very shiny sparkly beautiful untouched furniture sometimes with plastic covers on it that is a deeply, deeply uncomfortable to sit on yeah, but I mean, it's it's Western furniture in mm -hmm. that sense that it's up off the floor and there's a coffee table and end tables and, mm -hmm. and you know, lamps and that kind of thing. Really nice carpets usually mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful carpet. And it's really, yeah, it's, it's some of the most uncomfortable furniture I've ever sat on in my life. Mm -hmm. But it looks really nice, I guess. And, so, and that's not where they hang out. Right. Right, so it's like, this is an honor. We're going to put you in the fancy room. So, one major bonus of that room is that sometimes that room does not have a television. Oh, that is true. So it's quieter. Yes. Yes, because it is very, uh, considered very polite to turn on the TV for your guests, if you have one. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's polite or like a status symbol or just like a habit. I'm... I'm, I'm not I'm sure. I'm not sure I ever associated the turning on of the television to my arrival. Usually I feel like the television was always just on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would change the channel to MTV or like an American pop or rap music for me. Right. Something with English. With English. Which is worse. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes it was really fun to watch the like weird Turkish or Arab the soap operas. Soap operas? Those are so, so <laughs> They're weird. They're so entertaining. And it's like, I don't need English. I understand what's going on. Uh -huh. You make it very clear. Like the, like the Spanish language videos yeah, you like watch in Spanish class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in Arabic. Or um, Turkish. So a lot of times I would ask, like, no, no, turn it back. And I would always say, like, I'm trying to learn. Trying Help to learn, learn Kurdish. I never was. I was just more entertained by the overacting. <laughs> and preferred not being able to understand the swear words. 100%. 100%. Uh, but they also seem to appreciate that as well, I feel like. If yeah. you could communicate that. Yes. You are always immediately given some kind of food 
or and snack water and water or orange soda orange soda yeah sometimes you get you get the option do you mm -hmm. want water or orange soda sometimes it's just like here's both sometimes juice yeah orange flavored juice i feel like i got that less often i had one lady one of my neighbors actually i spoke with and got to know pretty well and she somewhere along the way had heard that americans really like orange soda and so she used to always bring me orange soda and then after we got to know each other better and like we had a conversation about it she was like i just thought i was told that americans really love orange soda and I was like, no, really, for the most part, American kids drink orange soda. I liked it when I was a kid. Most grown-ups don't really drink orange soda. Right. And she was like, oh, oh. <laughs> it was just like, this is just what I've always known. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. curious how that, because obviously we lived in very different regions, and it was consistent across both of those regions. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious how that got started. How that rumor got started. I will say I prefer orange soda in Kurdistan to any orange soda I've had in the U.S. And I'm mm. not sure if that's like I have warm feelings associated with like orange soda equals hospitality. Right. Or if it's just better in some way. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've actually drunk any orange soda since living in Kurdistan. <laughs> I, I, somebody had some at their house and I tried some and I was like, this is not good. Oh. But yeah, it's weird that way. Now, if you manage to show up at a mealtime or are invited for a meal, or maybe it's not mealtime, but they happen to be cooking, so they're going to give you a meal regardless. Right. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. There aren't the standards for when meals are exactly the same way in the U.S. where you like roughly know this is always mm -hmm. dinner time. Yeah, we made the mistake of being like, if we show up at like three or four, it's not meal time for them. Three or four is like siesta time though. And so at least in our meal, it was like, we're all taking naps. We learned pretty oh. quickly. That's that's a bad time to show up. Yeah. Because I feel like for most of the families I knew in Suli, three or four was meal time because that was when everyone got home from school. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I guess so that's true. Everyone ate then and then also again at like nine o'clock at night. Maybe I just had like old, older people as older my neighbors, neighbors who would take naps at that time. Yeah, I don't know. If you go for a meal, then it's a much bigger production depending on the family that you're visiting and again some of the formality of that you could also be taken to a formal dining room right um with like a table and chairs usually plastic not always i think i knew one family with wooden table and chairs mm -hmm. and then be served the meal there at the table but much more commonly i feel like was the more family style meal in the other room right the the like actual living room yeah the room that is lived in <laughs> yeah and that room has dosheks which are just like really thin foam mattresses that are covered in fabric on the floor uh -huh. and everybody just sits on the floor and, and they like put pillows almost yeah but big like they're long like mattress sized pillows right and they put like plastic picnic table tables over or tablecloths over the carpet. rugs the mm -hmm. carpet and then they put all the food on that and someone sits near the middle and serves food onto plates and they get passed to you the goal for all of those dishes and plates 
is that there need to be a lot of plates mm -hmm. and they need to be overflowingly full. Yes. Each, each one has to be like packed to its fullest amount. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes it very difficult to serve, especially like the giant pile of rice. rice. <laughs> yep. And you're like trying to scoop without like knocking the whole pile off onto the tablecloth. Mm -hmm. Which inevitably happens. Which happens no matter who's serving it. So there are dozens and dozens of tiny little dishes and bigger ones and everything is just heaping mm -hmm. with whatever it is they're serving you that day. Uh, and you are expected to eat as much as you can possibly pack in. Uh, more. More than you can possibly pack in. True. Uh, and they will keep refilling your plate and refilling your plate. And, like, if you slow down, they'll be like, what? Don't you like it? Isn't it good? Like, Why aren't eat, you eating? Eat, eat, eat. Bojo, bojo. <laughs> uh, and there's, there's just a lot of peer pressure to eat as much, like, eat more until you feel like you're gonna die the one way that I felt like I could kind of tell people I was done and wasn't gonna eat more it only worked sometimes was to tell people I was on a diet mm -hmm. because that was something that is like understood there in my head I was on a diet of I would like to not eat until I explode <laughs> right yeah. I got I got a uh, super dramatic about it and be like oh I'm so full, like, oh, I'm gonna die if you feed me anymore. And, like, I feel like if I could make them laugh <laughs> or be like, okay, okay, okay. okay. Like, yeah. I, I feel like that's cultural, too. Like, you mm -hmm. have to be, like, heavily insistent that, like, I do not want any more. Like, I loved it. I have eaten so much because I loved it so much mm -hmm. that I can't fit any more in. And yeah, but you definitely have to, whatever your, your path is, uh -huh. you have to like really emphasize it. Yep. Or be like, where am I going to put it? In my pocket? Like <laughs> I, I pulled that one on somebody once like, here, give it to me. I'll shove it in my pocket. Is this what you want? <laughs> so yes, humor sometimes humor. works too. Hey there. While you're here, obviously, learning about Iraq, you should head over to our website, servantgroup.org, to learn a little bit more. We definitely recommend the blog post, Iraq is Dangerous, Go Anyway. It could, you know, lead you to move halfway around the world. But that meal is also not the end of the visit by any means. No, you can't just eat and run. Well, and a meal is not complete unless you have tea. A meal without tea is not a meal. It's a snack. Mm -hmm. And even then, sometimes it's still a snack. You also have to include bread. Bread also oh, is required bread. for a meal. Mm -hmm. Which is weird because, like, pizza is not considered a meal, yeah, but, but it's pizza's bread. pizza's not bread. But it, but it is, but it's, it's not. not. It's not naan. I guess. I guess that's true. And so tea is a really big big deal. Mm -hmm. There's tea everywhere all the time. And, and so they, it's like a, di a, a digestive like element yeah. to a meal. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you have eaten. Now you must have tea so you can digest well. So they'll clean up all of the plates and dishes and everything and like wipe down the, the tablecloth and fold it up as they go and, and then bring out the tea. And usually like the oldest woman will sit there 
and like the younger women will bring her all the tea things mm -hmm. and she is given both a pot of like super super strong tea and a pot of boiling hot water and she'll sit there and she'll pour hot water the boiling water over all the teacups like it's like sterilize everything mm -hmm. and like sticks her hand in a little bite like I don't know how their hands survive <laughs> all hey. this boiling water they're used to it um and then hot water and tea mm -hmm. go in the glass tea and then the hot water until it's the right color right and lots and lots of sugar yeah and I saw a couple people who had sugar cubes, but for the mm -hmm. most part, it was loose sugar. I feel like the sugar cubes are more common in the bazaar mm -hmm. and places like that. But like sometimes the older men, and maybe it's something that older people have done, you know, do, but they'll like dip their sugar cube into the tea in mm -hmm. the little saucer mm -hmm. and then suck the tea out mm -hmm. of the sugar cube and continue to do it that way. Yeah, I think I was also told that. Some people have sugar cubes and hold them between their teeth mm. and drink the tea so it, like, goes through the sugar through cube. Through the sugar cube. Right. But they didn't really, like, put them in the tea and no. mix them around. No, If you were going to put your sugar in the tea, they used regular mm -hmm. granulated sugar. And the, the tea is served in these little glasses. Uh -huh. Called piala um, in mm -hmm. my area. Istikan, I think, is what they call okay, them I in Dahuk. Okay, the Turkish. Um... And so they're like, they're like tiny little glass vases. There's no handle. People call them tulip glasses. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And they're served on a little glass sa saucer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes ceramic, but usually glass. And you can't like grab them because it's got boiling hot tea in it. And they fill it all the way to the, the edge, way. like with the the water tension kind of holding. A, a, a bubble of tea over the edge of the surface. Uh -huh. Like, I, they know exactly how much to pour in right. there. It's, it's almost dangerous. <laughs> um, so there are a couple strategies for tea drinking. Some people pick it up by the dish and, like, will lift it up and sip out of it. That always seemed very precarious to me. It's a little little sensitive. I think that might like be very kind of the old school way and also like highly skilled tea drinkers. Yeah I mean I definitely did that. Yeah. Some people take their tea, their very full teacups and tip them into the saucers like a little bit. You have to touch them first though. Yeah but they're just like enough to get it to splash over and so then they can pick them up by, like, you pick it up by, like, the top, top rim of it. Right. With, like, two fingers so that the least surface area possible is touching the boiling hot glass. Mm -hmm. And if you've spilled a little bit out, like, that top edge will cool off a little bit because it's no longer touching. Mm -hmm. And so then you can drink the tea. Right. And I always feel like people slurped it. Like, <laughs> that, that thing. <laughs> Uh, again, because it was really hot, and because I was always afraid I was going to spill it and, like, yeah. burn, like, all my face off. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I got pretty used to just picking it up by the edges and yeah. sipping it and, like, just maybe losing all feeling in those two fingers <laughs> and just dealing right. with the pain. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people talked about people pouring it into the saucer to then drink it. I don't think anyone I ever met did that. I feel like that's an Arab thing. Okay. 
and I feel like Kurds would make fun of you if you did it. Like, <laughs> it's it's not very refined, maybe, by oh, their yeah. standards. I don't know. You can almost never get tea without some kind of sugar in it. I learned really quickly that, like, in order to control the amount of sugar you're actually drinking, you stir it limited amounts. Or not at all. Or not at all. That was kind of my method. Don't stir. Because you also, in this cup, like, all of the sugars at the bottom, sometimes it's like half an inch to an inch deep yeah. of sugar at A the lot. bottom. And you're served with this really short, usually gold-colored, sometimes silver, spoon that's just for tea. tea. And, like, the little tinkling sounds, mm -hmm. like, as everybody stirs, are, like, supposedly really happy. and Yeah. It's like, very musical. There's all sorts of, like, weird superstitions about, like, if you get two spoons in your tea by accident, like, that's the number of spouses you'll have, or oh. how sweet your tea is. Like, if a girl likes a guy, she'll make his tea extra sweet when she visit or when he visits her family, or... Hmm. Like, all I, sorts of things like that. I only ever heard that Kurds stir the tea one way and Arabs stir the tea the opposite oh, direction. Really? I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. And that, like, really expert tea drinkers can, like, swirl their spoon without any tinkling of the mm. glass. So that's how you can tell, like, how good someone is at tea. tea. Um, yeah, it's not just a drink. Right. Like... It's a cultural practice and an art form. Mm -hmm. I don't like tea. So for a really long time, I struggled with that. Because it's like, if you say, oh, I don't really care for tea, people are like, why? What's wrong with you? you there is something wrong with you uh -huh. if you don't like tea. And so I learned the only kind of tea that I like is really, really hot, really, really sweet Kurdish tea served to me in a little glass. <laughs> Like, because, again, because I associated it with that hospitality and that, like, mm -hmm. community feeling of here we all are sipping our tea, I, I do like it. And it is about the only kind of tea I like. They don't it put does. milk or anything in it. It's just, it's like black tea with cardamom in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love tea with cardamom in it now. Like, mm -hmm. it's not some, it's not a way I ever drink, drink tea in the U.S. Right. And now I do. I buy it from the <laughs> Kurdish markets with cardamom in it. And sometimes, because I didn't think that I liked tea initially, they I would get offered coffee, mm. and that was a mistake. Yeah, uh, there are really only two ways you get coffee. Tea, tea drinking cultures are not the places to ask for coffee. Yeah. You either get Turkish coffee, which is, like, strong and, like, half grounds. Gritty. It's very gritty. And for them... I mean, I've had some Turkish coffee that was good, mm -hmm. just never in a Kurdish. It also Iraqi has home. that cardamom kind of flavor yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or you get like Nescafe, Nescafe, like the three in one packet, or mm -hmm. even just a like a black. I don't know. Black instant coffee. Instant coffee. Which they want to be the same color as tea sometimes, and so they'll make it's it just... very very weak. Again. I learned to like the three-in-one, which is coffee, non-dairy creamer, and sugar all in one little, like, packet. I never did. There, I had actually an American friend that quite liked it, and I so I associated it, some. <laughs> associate it with her, and so I enjoy it because of the memories. 
but it's not something I would ever buy in the U.S. So yeah, tea, tea is the way to go for sure. Oh yeah, it's so good. And when you drink tea, like if you're just going to someone's house to visit, you will also get served tea mm -hmm. and water. And usually some form of little snacks, like little kalecha cookies, which mm -hmm. are like date and walnut filled. It's almost like a pie pastry. Right. In different shapes. They also have... And a little bowl of nuts and mm -hmm. seeds. Mm -hmm. Pumpkin seeds and pistachios and cashews all kind of mixed together sunflower seeds sometimes they'll just give you like sunflower seeds in the shell still mm -hmm. you are supposed to be able to like crunch off the shell and eat the seed eat inside the seed. and spit the shell out i never ate those because i was like i i, I don't know how to do this i'm gonna end up with like shell all down in front of me and <laughs> i am not skilled it also in this is way. it takes some practice because I, you I can't learned. you can't spit the shell out like into a bowl you have to like kind of spit it into your hand you don't actually put the whole shell in your mouth. Okay, see? What do I know? <laughs> you just have to crack it on the edges, and then it will split open in half, and you can dump the little inside into your mouth and hold onto the shell, which is not spitty. spitty. Apparently I always did it wrong, <laughs> which is why I just stopped doing it. You also will almost always get fruit. Mm -hmm. And someone told me before I went to Kurdistan... That when the fruit comes out, it's a signal that it's time for you to go home. I asked, once I, like, got to know Kurdish people fairly well, like, so is this a real thing? The, like, you brought out fruit, you want me to leave? And consistently, all of them were like, no, we would never do anything to, like, signal to people that it's time for them to get out of the house. Like, that is unfathomable to them to be, like signaling that people should leave yeah i think the way that it does work is that often you cannot leave until the fruit has been served mm -hmm. and so you have to intimate and say and usually you like plan this like an hour before you absolutely really need to go and you start saying well it looks like it's about time for me to go i need to go now and then they'll be like, no, 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 wait, wait, we haven't had fruit yet. And so then they'll like, go get the fruit and bring the fruit out. And then you need to sit there and chat while everybody slowly and meanderingly eats a piece of fruit mm -hmm. or two, which after you've had all this food is just... It's like death. It's <laughs> so much food. You're like, now you have given me an entire apple but in some ways though that was one of my favorite parts when once i got to it and took took the apple and like learned to like cut it up in fun ways because you also get a little knife and a little plate. plate and so you can either peel your orange like or or cut your apple fancy i used to cut it with like weird little zigzags and make it so that you could see a star in the middle because mm -hmm. you got to eat it slowly because you can't right. fit anything in you at that point yep yeah, I was never quite sure what to do with bananas. I felt like those were a weird fruit. I think most of the ways I saw other people eat them was they would cut them in half uh -huh. and peel them and, like, cut slices off and eat the slices. Yeah. Which just felt weird to me, like, too much work. But I guess if you're trying to, like, drag out the time <laughs> or, like, make space in your tummy for more, that makes sense. Makes sense to eat it slowly. Yeah. Yeah, I was, fruit was always awkward to me. I don't know why. 
Probably because the knife. I was always frustrated by the tiny knives. The tiny knives. The tiny dull knives. Yeah. Um, but then saying goodbye is its own special production of you have to like stand up and start walking towards the door mm-hmm. or you can't ever get out of there. Right. If you keep saying, oh, I have to go and you don't actually like begin to leave, they won't let you go. They're never going to be like, well, thanks for coming. It was great to have you here. Mm-hmm. Like, no. no, they're never going to end the conversation. They're never going to give you the it's it's time for it to be done. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, you just kind of have to make it happen. Because the conversation will follow you as you leave to put on your shoes. Through the shoes and out the door, all the way to the gate. Mm -hmm. Which, But before you can do that, you have to say goodbye to everyone who's there. Oh, absolutely. So even people who've, like, wandered off to other rooms, like, they have to go get them and bring them out so that you can say goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. Shake hands, kiss kiss. All the 20 minutes of, like, have a wonderful day. I hope your family is well. We're so glad you came. God be with you. God go with you. Mm-hmm. May God be with you. God be with you. Mm-hmm. And you. And you. And, and you. And <laughs> but I will say that whole process of, like, following people, like, all the way out the door, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how used to that I had become and how weird that is in America. Right. Until I moved back here. Right. And how, like, I follow people out onto our front yard mm-hmm. and they're all like, do you, do you need something else from me? And I'm like, no, I'm just saying goodbye. Yeah. Or, like, leaving somebody's house and having them just shut the door behind mm-hmm. you. It feels so abrupt. Right. It's a little so startling. strange. Like, now I'm on my own. Yep. You didn't walk me to the street. Mm. Wave at me as the car went away. Yep. Oh, when we would visit our neighbors, our neighbor lady would walk us back to our gate mm-hmm. and be like, okay, thanks. I gotta, like, I gotta close the door and, like, push you out, too. <laughs> like, this visit didn't also come to my house now. I love I love that, though. It is. It's wonderful. Like, again, it makes it feel like it's really, you really want me to be around. It's not inconveniencing you, you in any way. never feel like you're being kicked out of a space or, like, mm-hmm. you're unwanted. Like, you know that if something were going on and you needed to, like, stay all night there, you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, there are more than one family was like, oh, it's too late for you to go home now. Like, you should just stay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... I can't. Right. Like, please stay the night. Yeah. I'm like, if I stay the night, I know we are going to stay up all night talking. Yeah. And you will not let me leave in the morning. And for me, if I was at somebody's house late, like if I was visiting a student or something and ended up being at their house really late, I didn't ever have a car. Mm. And so it was not okay for me to take a taxi that late by mm-hmm. myself. Um, And so they would always rouse out, like, an older brother or, you know, the older uncle and be like, we will take you home. Yeah. And, like, the student would come with me so that I'm not, like, alone in this car with this strange man that I don't know. Right. But it was never, like, they always want to make sure that you get home safely. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I ever got offered to, like, stay the night at someone's house. But I almost always got offered a ride home, even if they had to, like, call up. A lot of times it was, like, the security guy. They would call him (laughs) up and be like, take her home. It's fine. Yeah. Um, 
And even then they would walk me to my gate and make sure that I got in my gate and got in my house and like yeah. the, the whole thing. Yeah, so if you ever get the chance to hang out with a Middle Eastern family, a Kurdish family, um, they invite you over for dinner or to visit, know that it's probably going to take several hours. They are not going to want you to leave, but also that it will probably be some of the most wonderful hospitality you've ever experienced. Yeah. Go hungry, for sure. Yeah. I feel like I have the same kind of experiences here in the U.S. with all of my Middle Eastern friends that I visit here, mm-hmm. whether they're Kurdish or Arab or Somali or yeah. really from any of the countries that, you know, we have English students in, like... Mm-hmm the hospitality they offer is extraordinary. Yeah. It's an, is an important value in their culture. Um, and one of the things that I think we've both tried to bring into our own home uh, here in the U.S. is, you know, we don't want to make people feel like they're not welcome. Mm-hmm. Something I think Americans in general lose out on to some extent. Yeah, and I think even our pattern in the U.S. tends to be let's go meet somewhere for coffee, mm-hmm. not why don't you come to my home. Right. And so I actually often, often people won't take me up on it, but almost always if I'm going to have a meeting with someone, I will give the option of I can meet you at a coffee shop that I know of, a couple of you know different places, or if you'd like, come to my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people will take me up on it and people will remark, I'm like, wow, like you didn't know me and... Right. You invited me to your house, and I'm like, yeah. of course. Yeah, you're always welcome. Speaking of which, we gotta go get our house clean, because we're having a bunch of Kurdish women over. <laughs> yeah, cleaning is also important, and that's something I think we'll uh, we'll address in the future episodes. Yes, there, there are many, many levels to that. Holy moly. And we gotta <laughs> meet them all. Oh, cheek pinching. We didn't talk about that. You will get your cheeks pinched when you go to visit people. I've had my collarbone pinched. I mean, I that must be a dehucky thing. Oh god, I never got pinched. Babies got, got pinched. Pinched. I Maybe never got pinched. Maybe I just have really chubby cheeks. <laughs> oh, no. Adorable pinchable cheeks. Maybe. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening, and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks Thanks for for listening. Um, what's wrong with you?